Attention, all troops. He's alive. Alive. Welcome to the Reference. We started out with a Lowe's 4 movie theater in my town. Eventually, they opened a Lowe's 6 and closed the Lowe's 4. The Lowe's 6 showed a lot more movies, and it was in easy walking distance to my home. So once it opened, it was a paradise for me. I would go over there, especially in the summer, as often as possible to watch movies. I remember going over to watch Star Trek 3 by myself as a kid. This was the first Star Trek movie I had seen by myself, and I was really into it. And was struck by how awesome Spock was and was really taken with the Vulcans themselves. I liked their logic. I liked just the sort of mythology around them. I still think Star Trek II is a better movie. But Star Trek III has a special place because it is really when I became a much bigger fan of one character in particular, Spock. So much so, and this might sound funny, that I started thinking, well, Maybe I should make decisions like the Vulcans make decisions. And how did this new lifestyle bubble to the surface? I gave up meat. I remember thinking to myself that the Vulcans don't eat meat, so why should I? It seemed so much more evolved. It seemed so much more logical, one would say. After the movie, I went home and my family was having a barbecue, and it was a very difficult day for me because I love barbecues, and uh, I love meat, but I actually stuck to it and continued to stick with my vegetarianism for multiple months. Of course, this meant not vegetables and nutritious stuff, but pizza and pasta, things like that, which is a very excellent food to eat in New Jersey. Of course, I said to myself, well, I won't even eat eggs. I gave up eggs. As a kid, I guess I never realized that there were eggs in pasta and in crust and bread and just about everything that I ate at the time. So uh, I guess I would be an egg-eating vegetarian during that time. The vegetarianism did not last for very long. I made it through the entire summer and into the school year, and then Thanksgiving rolled around. The first thing I had was turkey, was the first meat that I ate again. And since then, I have been a meat-eater again. I have gotten off the Vulcan way and have gone back to my human side. Still, the performance of Nimoy and the Vulcan ethos had really gotten into me, and it's a really nerdy thing to think about and talk about. But I'm proud that I was able to stick it out during that time. I wish that I had eaten healthier and perhaps been able to try different foods, but for a kid of my age, that wasn't going to happen. As you can guess, I'm a big fan of Leonard Nimoy. I have been since the original Star Trek and try to watch him in anything I can get my hands on. I love to hear his voice, love to see him in commercials, love his poetry, his photographs. He's just a great renaissance man, and we don't have a lot of those in today's society, especially in the field of entertainment. Usually somebody thinks they're good at multiple things, but it turns out they're really only good at one thing, and they're just really being irritating doing multiple things. So on today's show, we're going to talk about our renaissance man, Leonard Nimoy. We'll talk about his movies, his television work, his early career, his late career, his photographs, his books, and his music. So without further ado, let's start the show. 
Leonard Simon Nimoy, the actor, poet, musician, photographer, and director, was born on March 26, 1931, in Boston, Massachusetts. That's four days after his Star Trek co-star, William Shatner. Mr. Nimoy was raised by his father and mother, who were Yiddish-speaking Jewish immigrants from the Ukraine. They raised him in a tenement, and his father, Max Nimoy, owned a barbershop, and his mother, Dora, was a homemaker. Nimoy seemed to be attracted to acting at an early age. They say he got the acting bug at age 8, when he played Hansel in an Elizabeth Peabody Playhouse production. But his first major role was Ralphie in Clifford Odette's Awake and Sing. He landed that role at the tender age of 17. After graduating high school, he went to study drama at Boston College. Then in 1949, he decided to follow his acting dreams and went to Hollywood, where he enrolled in the Pasadena Playhouse. While studying acting, Nimoy worked as a soda jerk, a cab driver, and a movie usher to pay the bills. But his hard work and dedication would pay off quickly. Success came relatively early for Nimoy, especially when compared to other actors who had gone out to Hollywood to make it. At the age of 20, he landed his first major starring role, playing Kid Monk Baroni, a disfigured fighter. He also managed to find a wife. Nimoy married Sandra Zober in 1954, and they had two children together, Julie and Adam. Nimoy was married to Sandra until 1987 when they were divorced. In 1988, he married actress Susan Bay, who is the cousin of very famous director Michael Bay. Thankfully, this has not led to Mr. Nimoy showing up in Michael Bay films. I'm not sure if it would devalue Leonard Nimoy or add value to the Michael Bay film. My gut tells me that it would be the former. So Nimoy has a wife, but his life was about to change. Because like many young people in that time, the government came a-calling. Nimoy needed to do compulsory military service, and he joined the United States Army Reserve. He was discharged in November of 1955 with the rank of sergeant. So not only is he a Starfleet officer and ambassador, but a sergeant in the U.S. Army. Not a lot is known about Nimoy's military career, except for what he has told us, because his service records were destroyed in the 1973 National Archives fire. I like to think that he was a secret agent at the disposal of the U.S. government, perhaps traveling around Eastern Europe, taking on our communist foes, challenging them to chess matches, outthinking, outfoxing, outseducing every agent that the countries behind the Iron Curtain could throw at him. We do know that while serving in the Army, Leonard spent 18 months serving in Georgia at Fort McPherson, where he wrote and emceed GI shows for the Army's Special Services Branch. He also did something I would have loved to have seen. He directed and played Stanley in the Atlanta Theater Guild's production of A Streetcar Named Desire. I would just love to see a Spock-like Stanley shouting Stella. As soon as Nimoy got out of the Army, he went straight back to acting and landed a bunch of small parts in B-movies and TV shows. A great bit part that he landed was on the TV show Dragnet in 1954. The episode was called The Big Boys, and it aired on January 21st, 1954. In it, Nimoy has a mustache and is hardly recognizable. He's also not on the screen for very long. But it's a great crossover between legendary shows. You have Nimoy, who would go on to be on Star Trek, walking next to Joe Friday on another show that is iconic. Throughout the 50s and 60s, Nimoy continued to work, taking lots of small roles in television and film. He would return to Dragnet again in the late 50s, in another episode, and would work in westerns and science fiction films, all pretty small roles. 
Then something very big happened. That something big was Star Trek. Now how did Nimoy get the role? Now people say that when the producers and writers of the show were talking about Spock, they decided that it would be really good if the guy had a certain look, and the look they were going for was tall and thin. So casting director Joseph D'Augusto had remembered seeing Nimoy work in one of those small parts he had done during the intervening years, a World War II series called The Lieutenant, which ran in 1963. And he gave Nimoy a call about the role, and the rest is history. Nimoy would take the role of Spock on the very famous series and set of movies, and he would really shape that character. It was he who came up with the Vulcan salute. It was he who came up with the line, live long and prosper. He also came up with the Vulcan neck pinch. Since Spock is a pop cultural icon and inspiration to so many people, one could easily say that Leonard Nimoy, in shaping that character and bringing parts of himself into it, deserves that same respect. Fascinating. There are so many other Star Trek-related podcasts and websites that it's hard to deal with the show itself. I guess it would be a podcast unto itself. One of the things that I find most interesting about Spock is that his character is the only character who appears in every episode of Star Trek because he is in the pilot as well, the first pilot, the cage. So he is the beginning and the end of all things Star Trek, at least to me. Now at this point, I would describe Nimoy as a veteran of entertainment in Hollywood. But he's in this science fiction show. He had seen shows come and go. So he wasn't very sure how popular the show was until he went on a promotional trip for Star Trek in 1966. He was selected to be the Grand Marshal of the Medford, Oregon Pear Blossom Festival. At that Pear Blossom Festival, he was so overwhelmed with fans seeking his autograph that he actually needed to be rescued by the officials of the festival. The very next year, Spock, Leonard Nimoy, was featured in the March 4th, 1967 issue of TV Guide. At that point, he knew he had made it. He was on a hit show. He was getting Emmy nominations. you think he would rest for a second. But Nimoy seemed to redouble his efforts toward success. He started working toward stage roles and landed roles in Montserrat, hope I said that right, Visit to a Small Planet, and Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. He also tried his hand at music, which we'll talk about later. So Nimoy kept working on Star Trek until it ended in 1969. But no need to cry for the very smart Leonard Nimoy. He had honed his acting chops, kept his name out there, and moved instantly to another hit series, Mission Impossible, where he took over as a regular, replacing Martin Landau. He stayed on that show for two seasons. After the show ended, Nimoy took to directing and doing more movies. In 1972, he landed on one of my favorite shows, Night Gallery. He played Henry Auden in the episode She'll Be Company For You, which is one of those great cat episodes of Night Gallery, where Nimoy is a bit of a playboy and his wife is terminally ill, and he's out on the town while she's dying. The revenge of his dead wife is set in motion when a cat is given to him as a present after her death. It has to do with the fact that she always rang a bell when she needed help, and then he would hear the bell. It's very much like the Telltale Heart. Nimoy has some great reactions in it. It's high 70s television. Here's actually the scene where he finally breaks down and is about to, I guess, off himself or allow himself to be taken. Margaret. 
His involvement in Night Gallery didn't stop there. He also made his directorial debut on Night Gallery in the episode Death on a Barge, which was during the 1973 season. In the episode, a dockside merchant ignores the warnings of his friends when he falls desperately in love with a wraith-like young woman. Spoiler! She's a vampire. What do you expect? It's Night Gallery, and her name was Hyacinth. In 1971, Nimoy played a villain in the Western film Catlow, which I will actually be talking about next week on the site. The siren call of Trek pulled Nimoy back in 1973 to do voice acting for Filmation's Star Trek The Animated Series. Although the show ended in 1974, after only 23 episodes, it re-energized the Trek franchise and Star Trek Phase Two began production shortly thereafter. Oddly enough, Nimoy decided to opt out of doing Star Trek Phase Two, and was going to be replaced by another Vulcan named Zahn, who would have been played by David Gautreaux. While they were cooking up this new Star Trek series, Nimoy kept himself busy doing other small parts. He also got on board a brand new series, In Search Of. In Search Of was this pseudoscience TV documentary that did investigations into the paranormal and historical figures. It was a big hit in my household, and even as a young child, it was one of the shows I watched religiously with my father, who was also a big fan of it. The show had Nimoy as a narrator. He actually replaced Rod Serling, who was the initial choice to host the show, but Serling had an untimely death, and Nimoy was chosen to be the host of the series. I think the show did really well because of Nimoy's involvement. His science fiction credentials gave geeks everywhere a reason to watch the show initially. And then the very moody music and interesting reenactments would win you over. If you've never seen this show and you're a fan of shows like The X-Files, you should really think about watching it. The show ran in syndication in the 90s on A&E and the History Channel, but I don't think it's in syndication anymore. But you can probably find it online. While in search of turned out to be a success, Nimoy continued to pursue other roles. He played Martin Desart in the play Equus in New York. In 1978, he starred in a remake of Invasion of the Body Snatchers, where he played a psychiatrist. From 1978 to 1981, he went on to tour the country in a one-man play, Vincent, which inspired him to do a really great episode of 
in search of about Vincent van Gogh, where he tries to prove that Vincent van Gogh wasn't suffering from madness, but in fact had epilepsy. He has a great closing monologue in that episode, which I think you might enjoy. With the Mistral wind, the heat of the sun, his illness, it's amazing that Vincent van Gogh accomplished as much as he did. While it is interesting and worthwhile to investigate the man, the power and the magnificence of his work are awesome. Today, the controversy about Vincent van Gogh continues. He was a very complicated man. He was sometimes difficult, sometimes stubborn, mystical, loving, self-destructive, and always passionate. I set out looking for answers to a set of intellectual questions. Some of those questions have been answered. Some still remain mysteries. But I found something that was, in a sense, beyond the search, and I think even more important. In my efforts to understand the man, I found a new and even deeper appreciation for the beauty that he gave us. In search of great show, Trek is moving forward, but other movies start coming up in the science fiction realm that are very popular. You have Close Encounters of the Third Kind, and of course Star Wars. Paramount, seeing the success of those, decides that maybe Star Trek can actually be repurposed as a movie. And they start work on Star Trek the motion picture. Happily, Leonard Nimoy agrees to appear in Star Trek the motion picture. But only after Paramount agreed to a settlement of his lawsuit against them for allowing his TV series likeness to be used by advertisers. Very smart guy. Star Trek the motion picture was directed by the legendary director Robert Wise and turned out to be a big enough hit that it reignited the Trek franchise and led to many, many more movies, several new series, and guaranteed that we would have Nimoy as Spock for years to come. Before moving away from Star Trek, I would just like to comment on the death of Spock in Wrath of Khan. I went and saw that movie in the theaters as a kid, was a big Spock fan by then, and uh, I wept like a child should. And I watched it last week, and I was fighting back tears the whole time. It is still a bummer when he dies and starts showing his human side. You can see he's kind of tortured. It's just a wonderful scene, and I'm really happy that Spock didn't die. But for a science fiction character, it is a great death scene. At the end, when the bagpipes are playing, and they launch that sunglass case out into space, if you're not fighting back the tears, you might want to do a check on yourself to determine if you're human, because you might be a robot. In which case, I don't want to know you, because you're probably here to kill me. During and in between Star Trek films, Nimoy continued to act, but he would make a feature film directorial debut for Star Trek III, The Search for Spock, conveniently bringing Spock back to life, and also directing Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home, which is considered the funniest of the Star Trek films, and not including the most recent Star Trek reboot, is the highest grossing Star Trek film of all time. It's a great movie if you haven't seen it. Outside of the Star Trek realm, Nimoy directed Three Men and a Baby, which, although light and fluffy, I find incredibly entertaining, and I find the little boy ghost thing in that film absolutely terrifying. 
Mr. Nimoy retired from acting in 2002, but seems to have been coaxed out of retirement to star in the reboot of the Star Trek movie franchise, playing Spock again in a fun time-bending plot that has been delighting audiences for the last two weeks. It looks like retirement did not suit him because he will also be returning to television on the TV show Fringe, where he will be playing Dr. William Bell in two episodes this year. It's really nice to have Nimoy back on television. I wasn't happy just seeing him in those commercials and listening to his voice in Civilization IV. I need to see that face up there, those expressive eyes. He really is one of a kind. Now, although Nimoy is best known for his acting and directing, he is a versatile man, and when Star Trek started to show that it was popular, he was approached by Dot Records and asked if he wanted to do some albums, and he said, oh yeah, he would love to. So he did five studio albums. The studio albums are Leonard Nimoy Presents Mr. Spock's Music from Outer Space, Two Sides of Leonard Nimoy, The Way I Feel, The Touch of Leonard Nimoy, and The New World of Leonard Nimoy. And he also appeared on some compilation albums, Space Odyssey, Outer Space Inner Mine, Highly Illogical, and Spaced Out. At the beginning of the show, you heard Leonard Nimoy singing the Ballad of Bilbo Baggins, which appeared on the Two Sides of Leonard Nimoy, the second album released by Dot Records. If this has been your only exposure to the music of Leonard Nimoy, you really should run out and try some of these other albums. A lot of fun to listen to. You can put them on at a party and everyone will be talking about it the whole night. In addition to these albums, Nimoy also directed the Bangles music video for Going Down to Liverpool in 1985. He also makes an appearance in the video as the driver of the band. Nimoy released a version of Johnny Cash's I Walk the Line, which is surprisingly good. And if you're a fan of the pop band Information Society, you will probably recognize Leonard Nimoy's voice from the song Pure Energy. Mr. Nimoy is also an accomplished writer. He's written two autobiographies and many books of original poetry. Amongst them are You and I, Will I Think of You, My Favorite, We Are All Children Searching for Love, a collection of poems and photographs, and most recently, in 2002, A Lifetime of Love, Poems on the Passages of Life. They're great works and often include some of his photos. Nimoy has always been a photog, and his photographs have gained great popularity over the years, not only from his fans, but from critics as well. You can check out his black and white photos at leonardnimoyphotography.com. What can one say about a talent like Leonard Nimoy? Entertainers like him come around once in a generation. I like to compare him to the great, talented Orson Welles, but without the ego. So, Leonard, whatever you got inside you, whatever art you want to show to us, we're ready. My heart is open, my eyes are open, and my wallet's open. I am now, and always will be, your fan. A shooting star is not a star is not a star at all. A shooting star is a meteor that's heading for a fall. Thanks for listening. For more retro fun, drop by the website at www.retroist.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash retroist. Do you have an idea for the retroist? Email it to me at retroist at retroist.com. 
Thanks for listening to the show, and I hope you have a great weekend. A shooting star is not a star. Why does it shine so bright? I find your podcast highly illogical. This has been a retrospective production. Goodbye.